0: Welcome to Unfrozen, I am Dan
1: Safarik, And I'm Greg Lindsay, and welcome to our special 2023 recap, episode 2024 preview. The year that was, the year that we hope or are afraid will be. So yeah, Dan, how does the new year greet you?
0: Oh, you know, with fear and trembling um, as usual, as as the last
1: four or five years have. Indeed, particularly in a year where, as I've been reminded over and over in the second week of January, because we've already lost the first week, uh, that, you know, that half of the world's population will vote. So the the year of elections, what could possibly go wrong? Uh, And as we'll come to, you know, housing and the built environment will definitely play a role in it in terms of how we choose to burn it all down.
0: But first, the moment you didn't know you were waiting for, wrapped from Spotify for podcasters. For those of you who are not podcasters, which is probably... Three of you. Our podcast vendor puts together this summary of your greatest hits of the year, and so uh, we're going to now summarize and react to that. Internal celebrities react. Here we
1: go. I was going to say, Jack, I can tell you're not Gen Z because, as Casey Lewis, who runs the Great After School newsletter, everyone does a Wrapped now. So this is our 2023 Wrapped, personally and podcast-wise. All, right. All right. What do we got? Drum roll. Scrolling, your Wrapped
0: is here. Let's go. In 2023, people were really, really feeling what you do. Ready? Let's take it from the top. Speaking of top, your top episode was, and this is great because it's over like a nice funky sort of Memphis style, 80s video game, you know, screensaver background. Show Me the Bodies. Uh, Show Me the Bodies was our episode uh, with uh, interviewing Peter Apps. Uh, who uh, reported diligently on the uh, Grenfell Tower uh, fire tragedy in London in 2017, all of the tragic missteps that led to uh, that event. So it is kind of wacky to see that, A, that was our top episode, considering our general penchant for irreverence, and uh, to see it superimposed on like 8-bit funk graphics that look like the side of a um, soda can from from a movie theater um, is also kind of funny
1: well at least though i mean a, a thank you to the thank you to the listeners who joined us for that episode and have stuck around since because as you'll probably get to in the in the statistics there uh we had a very diverse international re- uh listenership for that episode we really reached new people for that and um, and it warms my heart a little bit Dan, that like yeah the most serious tragic topic of that to really dig into it was the one that was most rewarded so we, we both knew that none of you are here to listen to us make bad jokes anymore, but, um, but it was really rewarding to hear that you were here to join one of our most thoughtful and um, yeah, thoughtful guests about the most tragic thing that we covered this year. It was
0: streamed more than 406% more than your average episode, which
1: is? I don't think they ever okay. tell us what the baseline is, and I don't they really They just want say, to know. Let's hear
0: it for the new fans. of your listeners discovered you in 2023.
1: And I think it was those Grenfell fans. And I don't know if fan is the word for that one, but yeah. Yeah,
0: and and thanks to the other 20 odd percent who stuck with us, even though you saw where things were going in 21, you're still here. Okay, how does it feel to have gone global? I don't know, tell me. You were streamed to 23 countries. United States was your top country with 62% of your total streams i say again, shout out to all our international listeners. Thank you for joining us. Sincerely. Get any good postcards this year? You have the most new listeners in, one, United Kingdom, two, United States, three, Germany. No surprise there. Your listeners have good taste, obviously. So what else are they into? Your listeners' top podcast genres were, one, society and culture, two, news, and three, comedy.
1: Wow. Wow. Do we we fit all three of those? A Venn diagram we've aspired to since we started this podcast, but not sure we've fully fulfilled.
0: Your podcast was shared all over. 56% were direct links.
1: 29%
0: was WhatsApp. 10% were via text. And 5% were via Instagram. I do find that quite interesting because I don't think I've ever texted anyone a podcast or sent anyone an Instagram DM with a podcast attached to it.
1: Well, see there you go dan we're we're old, and I, I, I want to note on methodology. I just find this entire format fascinating for all of you listeners who are not Spotify rap people. So one, the idea that like basically we're reading to you right now on our episode our website analytics and the fact that this is like the most entertaining thing and that young people are obsessed with this. The, my favorite thing I learned from this year is Spotify rap is that Gen Zers will play a song on a record player because they also love analog and things, but then they will play it muted on Spotify. So it counts for wrapped. So the quantification of musical taste goes on. And like, and here we are, we are enjoying the analytics of our sharing dynamics. And the fact that this is presented as like the year capping entertainment thing is fascinating to me, what this says about, I don't know, the way we live now, Dan.
0: Yeah, yeah, there's, there's reams to be unfolded there. Okay, in fact, your most shared episode, which is not the most popular episode, was untimely meditations, virtual repatriations. That was our interview. Uh, well, two actually, sort of a double, double feature interview, uh, where we were talking to two of the pavilion representatives uh, at the Venice Biennale.
1: That was that was Albania discussion there on the sort of virtual recreation of the stadium, and then the other one was uh, Chino Albani of Ludi, uh, which was in the main exhibition, uh, showing off their sort of digital repatriation of artifacts. I actually just caught up with Chidi recently. Um, I won't blow his cover on plans, but he's actually rolling out uh, plans in the works to democratize it. So you too can take your iPhone, LIDAR scan artifacts in your neighborhood, and digitally repatriate them to where they belong. So uh, look forward to showing up in popular museums soon in ski masks and seeing what happens. As Chidi pointed out as he was looking into this, uh, in Britain, our museum guards aren't armed. I was like, yeah, that's a that's a big difference between American museums and the British Museum. So let's hope this doesn't end poorly. But I'm glad to see that uh, the viewers still come back to us for B and Ali content. Indeed. I think the name recognition probably had something to do with the sharing. But still,
0: that's very cool. Are you a gardener? Oh, boy, I feel a good joke coming on. Because your podcast has some nice growth this year. More than 20% listeners and 57% followers. So when you start
1: at the bottom, folks, the only way is up. If there's one thing that Dan and I have learned as journalists, it's, uh, you know, percentage growth can be high when your baseline numbers are low.
0: <laughs> All right, can't forget to give a shout-out to your biggest fan. You're a top 10 podcast for 67 fans. God bless you.
1: The Magnificent 67.
0: The Magnificent 67. You're a top 5 podcast for 40 fans.
1: Drumroll, please.
0: It literally says that you're the number one podcast for 14 fans. Let's see how many people are in my family. Uh, yeah, that's probably four or five of them right there.
1: I would say, seriously, in all seriousness, if you can, if you are listening to this right now and can justify that you are one of our top fans, you can show us counter, counter countervailing, uh, evidence from your own Spotify Wrapped. Dan and I will send you some sort of merch. We will make on frozen merch and send it to you. So
0: we will we will create we merch will create merchandise create first merch time. And
1: drop ship something from temu for you i promise so yes <laughs> it will be bespoke as F. absolutely but yeah you know where to find us reach out so god bless you magnificent Fortnite.
0: thank you our top fans listen to us 2.2 times more than your other listeners 71% joined for the first time this year and let's zoom out a bit what a year is the conclusion. And then some more 8-bit graphics, uh, 67 fans, top 540 fans, top podcast 14
1: fans. 8-bit graphics. graphics. My culture is not your costume, kids. Like. <laughs> and that is the end of Wrapped for 2023,
0: Unfrozen. So shall we talk about what we liked about 2023,
1: including our own broadcasting experience, and then uh, pivot to 2024. Yeah, well, what we liked in 2023. I don't know, it's a good question. What we liked, being back at the Biennale, being back at the preview was good times, like taking it back to where it all began. We finally got back there. That was a, a highlight for me. Um, um, I also enjoyed, we'll get to this for 2024. I enjoyed having on uh, Andrea, Eon, Kojokaru, and my friend Nick Kaufman to discuss metaverse and applications of that. So we'll come back to that in 24 because it's totally going to happen this year. It's totally going to happen. Yeah, it's so happening. Absolutely. I, I'll, I'll shout out two before we move on to 24. I really enjoyed from the spring the Atlas of Space Rocket Launch Sites. Ah, yes. That was a. It's funny. I, Jeff Manoff, here. If, if you're one of our listeners, shout out because it was. It was struck me as such a classic, like building blog kind of thing. Like, let's take all of these space drones and discuss like ur, like urban typologies or non-urban typologies. So that one really stood out to me. And then you know the Trespass series we just had was great, of course. Um, and then I also really enjoyed having on um, Alan Malik, uh discussing yeah. his book uh, "Smaller Cities in a Shrinking World," like the dean of shrinking cities discourse, either in the Rust Belt or beyond. So having Alan on was, uh, you know, I felt I felt like a grown-up uh, having him.
0: <laughs> I definitely feel like we were in the presence of greatness for sure.
1: Yeah. All right. So tw- on to 2024. What are you what are you most looking forward to? We're going to go back and forth here. What are you looking forward to? What are you dreading? What guests do you hope to have, we have on? Where do you want to start?
0: Yeah. Well, okay, you mentioned the metaverse, and we, we can't let's avoid that topic, and we certainly can't avoid NEOM, so we may as well combine them. Apparently, they're going to be debuting Aqualum, a subterranean metaverse community.
1: Well, and I have, amazingly, I've not heard of this, so hold forth here. We'll come back to this, because you know my, the first thing I want to hail for this year is, the metaverse is dead, long live spatial computing, which we'll come back to in a moment with the launch of the Apple Vision Pro. But first, tell me about the subterranean metaverse experience. Uh,
0: you know, it's it's basically, it's just more render porn. You know, it's, it's people smiling, close-ups, long shots, um, you know, digital screens floating around, sort of like a benevolent minor, minority report. I can't even tell what it really is. Just
1: like all the things that they've proposed. It's it's really remarkable. I mean, there, there should be entire classes taught on just the sequence of the renderings coming out of Neom at this point. I think as someone pointed out, because like more, more recently they've just started showing like single family homes mm-hmm. at Neom. So someone pointed out, like they started with the line. Then you end up with like Zaha Hadid Architects designing like these minus Morgul style towers on the edges of mountains in the ski resort of Trojina, right? And then, and then and, and and the hexagon port by BIG. But then it's gotten more and more prosaic until now it's just sort of like, hey, here's some cul-de-sacs we're going to put it Neon. Um, so it it is fascinating about whether this is a downgrading of their architectural ambitions, uh, which again, you know, favorite memories of 23, Sir Peter Cook on their payroll at their event predicting how the line would fail to gasps and laughter of the assembled audience was a real highlight of 2023. Um, but, um, but yeah, did they it, did it release any renderings of this? Like, I mean, I mean, because I've said for a long time that if, if VR were to truly catch on, and perhaps it will be Apple, we'll come back to this, then the most important room in your McMansion would be a giant empty room, your metaverse room to wander around in. So is this what they're building? Like caverns, you just go down to your cavern.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll try to find a a link to some renderings in the show notes. It was something that I've just sort of seen on the the architecture crawl, as it were. But uh, that immediately sparked a thought because I know we've talked about the metaverse quite a lot here, and we've also talked about Neom quite a lot, and uh, also RIP Charlie Munger.
1: Yeah, I know. We always meant to have come back and have an episode here about the Munger dorm, you know, that uh that you know that basically, you know, why ever why why would you need a window if you're just gonna attend classes remotely on your MetaQuest seven there? But um but yeah, poor Charlie kicked the bucket there before they were able to realize his vision at UC Santa Barbara. So yeah. The ones the the lives they lived, the ones we lost in twenty twenty three. Well, <laughs> I do want to come back to here and discuss, you know, the, uh, the the you know the metaverse. And I do yeah, that. The word is definitively dead. It's it's really fascinating as we record this here. CES is happening. Apple to steal its thunder uh, announced the you know launch date of the of the Vision Pro. And then Apple, in its instructions to developers, specifically said, "Do not call this a metaverse device. Do not call this augmented reality, virtual reality, mixed reality, XR, which means nothing." People call it extended reality. reality, I guess. Well, see, they coined that, but XR is a sense of like. Brand X, it stands in for anything. It just shows how messed up the acronyms are. It literally doesn't mean anything in people assign meaning. So now here comes Apple's trying to swoop in and rebrand the whole space, which is really funny watching professional developers cry and, and moan about this. And I'm like, well, you guys never managed to actually come up with a name that stuck with anybody. But um, but I think it's going to happen this year. And I mean that it happened in the sense of, you know, the AI craze is now going to be able to create this sort of content. I, I'm less interested at this point in the Apple Vision Pro and its ability to render um a sort of liminal 3D space in front of you than I am in the meta uh, meta wayfarer ray bands ray band wayfarers um which you know which are mounting the cameras glass has has made a comeback remember 10 years ago we you know we beat google glass into submission because it was going to destroy our sense of urban privacy down with glass glasses and, now, and down, now meta's come back and they're going to the kids those gen z sons of uh, basically going to them, pitching this as a device where you now no longer have to use your hands to hold your phone while you record yourself. You can live stream it yourself in a mirror. Um, but the point of my rant here is is that once again, we're facing a very big breach in you know ubiquitous surveillance and surveillance of each other where this will undoubtedly be captured either locally in the device perhaps uploaded where you can then retroactively run facial recognition on it you can do sorts of things on this like it's going to create real privacy violations and so yeah so the augmentation that's going to come out of these devices is going to be ai overlays on top of it you know one of the first use cases of the of the Ray of the ray-bans is you're going to be able to use voice to chat gpt and say what am i looking at or what is this or who is that you know going back to the whole glass hole thing of the notion of like being able to like spy on everyone around you and finding out about it, which, you know, there were some really creepy use cases of that 10 years ago where, you know, it imagined dudes, you know, uh, wearing their glass, going into Facebook profiles of people they're talking to and basically, you know, running game on them kind of thing. So anyway, my point is, is that, yeah, that we're going to, you know, this, this vision of thinking about like how we're going to overlay new worlds on top of reality is going to be aided in a big way by AI. And I think you know the whole point of my project a year ago for Cornell Tech that cities nearly need to think about this about how it disrupts and upends public space and, and sort of institutions is going to be a huge theme in 2024 and that's before you get to like deep fakes misinformation and all sort of offline stuff with elections but anyway that's enough about me what what go what are you what are you looking forward to in neom or, or is there anything else to say there
0: well i mean it, obviously you know there, there's a running bet on you know whether the 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 uh, trench that's being dug you know, vigorously for NEOM will turn into uh, essentially some, some kind of canal or water feature that brings you know fra- desalinated fresh water into the interior of Saudi Arabia. I'm not sure which way it is inclined. I think it's probably inclined toward the sea, so it wouldn't be very practical for that. But um, yeah, I, I, I think I think they'll probably finish you know the arch and then beyond that maybe a few modules. But I'm, I'm
1: kind of with Peter Cook there. The, Saud- the Saudis are happening it 's real. They are the biggest source of money in the world. The public, the public investment fund, piF, which is backing all this, which is personally controlled by the Crown Prince, outspend every other sovereign wealth fund in the world. Everybody who wants cheap money in the world in an era of high interest rates is making the trip to Riyadh to basically with their hat in hand asking for money there. So you know this idea that like, you know that, that any of us can really look away from Saudi or say or oh you know Jamal with what, what the assassination was so horrible. I think is, is looking in the rear view mirror at this point, um, which is not to diminish the horror of that crime. To me, the larger question for architects is, is, do you really believe this is going to work? And I don't mean architecturally work in the sense of, you know, can you make a vertical city? Like, do, are you actually in your own mind, in your own heart, truly participating in the transition of the society to a more open one that is a participant in a post-oil, post-climate change society, or are you taking the money and running? And I just have to think that most of them are taking the money and running and not really wanting to grapple with real questions, because that should really be your bellwether if you want to participate in the broader Saudi architecture project is, are, like, this is a society where the majority of inhabitants of the kingdom are under the age of 30. Like, this is their future. And are you stealing it or are you building it? And what do you actually believe? And so, you know, a lot of architects like to posture and they're actually cynics. And I really hope you're not being cynical about this if you're participating in it. I'll get off myself.
0: Excellent soapbox, and I don't think I could have said it better myself. Um, Speaking of soapboxes and speaking to crowds, it is an election year in both the United States and Canada. We kind of know what the stakes are in the U.S. It's been pretty trumbled out. Uh, But what's going on in Canada, and why does it have an implication for mass housing and architects?
1: Well, technically it's not an election year in Canada, unless Justin does some sort of fatal thing. He'll be able to hold on until 2025. But uh, the polling is bad, the vibes are bad here in Canada and you know a big chunk of that is the fact that like yes the canadian housing bubble which never popped in 2008 unlike in the states continues to go on i just got a press release that uh, i believe like 74% of canadian personal debt is tied up in mortgages so way ahead of credit card debt or any other kind um, our enti- this entire country is is a, is a nimby you know three nimbys in a trench coat um, and so, of course, this has huge implications on a couple of levels. One, like, you know, uh, under the Trudeau government, like we've ramped up immigration to, you know, deal with our demographic decline. But this leads to reactionary uptake of like, well, where will we put these people kind of thing. So you're seeing that resistance to immigration, which is another scary feature of the whole global north. And then two, and this is the thing that's really unique here, is that Canada is the only country in the G7 or maybe we'll to say like the global north, the global, the global northwest, um, where young people are trending towards the Conservative Party versus sort of your, you know, your, your center-left parties. And the reason for that is Pierre Poliver, who runs who's the head of the Conservatives, has figured out that the Liberals have completely screwed up housing policy and that their tiny neoliberal band-aids on it haven't worked and has somehow positioned himself as, we're going to build housing for you. I don't think any of us really believe that. Uh, and by us, I mean people who pay attention closely to it. But, Paul, but he's found a fault line in it. And so it's been interesting because the Liberals... Are finally with a year to go until the elections, pivoting to this issue. There's a new housing minister in place. They have dusted off this World War II era like proclamation that they can uh, basically, you know, uh, commission new prefab designs for housing to build it. But it's still like single family homes, not you know multifamily by right around transit stuff. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, whether this plan will be enough. Number one, and number two, I just think it's fascinating that you know. That this idea that what's really holding back housing in Canada is we don't have the designs handy and like we really need new designs for multifamily housing. I just love it that architects are powerless until you think they are the all-powerful solution to your problem and then you turn to them when really in this case it's about housing and finance and if I may give any solicited advice unsolicited advice to my adopted country here it's allow the Canadian Mortgage and Housing Corporation CMHC to build public housing Instead, the plans of liberals are like, ah, you know, you just give the money to the developers and they'll sort it out. Like, no, you need a more vigorous strategy than that. So, so, But my point is, is that housing will play a pivotal role about whether Justin can hang on in 2025 or perhaps sooner than that. And it'll be interesting to see where housing comes into the United States. Obviously, the vibe session, which appears to be finally relenting here now that interest rates are going to fall. 2024 is shaping up to be a really good vibes year in the American real estate industry once rates come down. We'll see about all the office debt that's something I'm paying attention to this is this is it folks twenty twenty four is the year where like something has to happen to all that empty office space at least in a financial sense but um but yeah, will we see any kind of constructive urban policy from the candidates in twenty twenty four so far all we got from Trump was the freedom cities, which I really hope you revisit soon because if he doesn't, in the meantime we're gonna have. What is it? Solana County, California, where the tech bros are planning to build their own city from scratch, one of potentially many. California Forever, I believe it's called. Indeed, yes. I mean, no, that doesn't sound threatening to me at all. It sounds like a Jehovah's Witness brochure and kind of looks like one, too. I mean, the site also is in like the Sacramento River floodplain. I, I don't really understand it, but that's where the land was cheap. And so that's where they swept in, which is, you know, again, American, American housing policy, American real estate policy, American architecture so genius power well things i'm also keeping an eye on for 2024 is if you build it can you ensure it Uh, You know, we just saw Wall Street Journalist had a a cover story just the other day about the fact that home and auto loan rates are going through the roof here because our mounting climate disasters, the insurance companies are the first ones on the hook, and they're just simply not going to let you build in coastal Florida and in the urban wilderness interface of California. How does that crisis resolve itself? Do we socialize the losses but allow the private home ownership gains? Because that would be very American if we continue to do that one. So, you know, I, I mean... We'll see. I you know, I predicted in 2017 that we would see a hurricane that would like bankrupt multiple states, you know, if a category 5 hits Manhattan. We have the American equivalent of the big one. So, I don't know. Anyway, that's 20 that's what I got there. What else you got that's more optimistic? Uh
0: well, I guess I have another open question which is sort of following up on these issues, which is, you know, do, what cities do we think are going to pull ahead in terms of recovery of their downtowns? Um, as the question over whether all the commercial real estate, uh, empty empty buildings and and, uh, and returning the keys to lenders uh, kind of pans out. I guess uh, I saw an article, I think it was in the the New York Times uh, about Gensler really putting its money on San Francisco, its home city by moving into a refurbished building, which is great uh, from a carbon standpoint and from putting down roots and believing in your city. Um, They're also are requiring employees to come in five days a week, so they are kind of uh, standing on their ground that they've staked. But I don't know if anyone else is doing that for any other cities in this in the states, or if San Francisco is really as bad as they say.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's there's small dots of light around this. I mean, I mean, San Francisco. Again, I've I haven't been to the city proper since the pandemic, so I this is pure speculation, pure you know bench research here. But it is interesting that you have the you have the Gensler news, you have Michael Schvo. Uh, the real estate broker who went into the art world who did time in prison for fraud and is now back as a real estate developer who has basically spent a billion dollars to acquire and refurbish the transamerica pyramid if there's like a single project i'm i'm focused on this year it would probably be that like will that bet pay off i mean you have the most iconic skyscraper on the west coast and if you can't make that work i don't know it can but um I mean, to me, it's an interesting question. I mean, it, you know, New York has recovered in terms of foot traffic all over the place. I mean, and I just, you know, I don't lose any sleep thinking about Vornado and, uh, and related companies and about whether, you know, they make their money back. But I don't know, to me, just the whole ongoing discussion is it's just so American, right, that, you know, in many ways, the cultural trends here around the cities and around the other, t- you know, if you, if you look at urbanism. You look at like AI and you look at the other great technological revolution at the moment, uh, GLP-1 inhibitors, Ozempic and you know, and others that are causing people to lose weight. America is the ultimate test bed of the, let's not address the structural pro, structural roots of our problems, but let's just dump this like syrup of solution on top of it. Let's never fix our IT systems. I know we'll dump AI on it and AI can ask questions. Let's never fix our bad built environment that makes us unhealthy and sick and isolated and lonely. So let's take weight loss drugs and have AI therapists and AI girlfriends and boyfriends, um, and then yeah, and then you end up with you know the ultimate form of that, which is which is remote work and work from home. Yeah, we built terrible urbanism. We did not build affordable housing with true physical accessibility to work our urban cores. So we end up with these hellacious commutes, and the solution will be in a, in a narrow individualistic rationalist sense is. We're just not going to go to them. We're just going to stay from home as far as we can. So, you know, I, Americans are rational actors ultimately within their constrained set of circumstances. But, you know, what do you do about that? And how do you fix those cores at a time where, like, now you have declining investment in transit, et cetera, because the numbers look bad and the tax revenues are bad? That d- the doom loop is overstated, but it does create this sort of, you know, this idea of like, well, we'll just sort of fix this problem by, you know, retreating back into our homes. I just I I don't think it's the answer. It can't be the answer because it just deepens further isolation, reliance on technology, and further unhealthy physical habits. And so that's why I'm against work from home. I I don't think it that actually is the grand solution to this. So the answer is going to be I mean the winner of it is is the European cities and Asian cities where people are back in the office because they built a different urban form that allows you to do that. I, I guess my I guess I'll stop here by saying like can anybody in America build a successful 15-minute city? Or, 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 or they have. And I, I've been part of discussions where, you know, the people who are leaving high-cost coastal metros, the New Yorks, the San Francisco's, the Chicago's on the Great Lakes, uh, are moving, you know, those college-educated high earners are not just moving to Atlanta or Dallas, they're moving to specific neighborhoods in there that remind them or have people similar to the ones they left behind in those neighborhoods. And those become very expensive very quickly. That's why Austin housing is through the roof. So I think it's interesting that like basically people are competing for the same kind of walkable urbanism that they're leaving behind, and it's still like a dogfight for it because we can't build anymore. I guess my final point is is like, yeah, we need to build more housing and we need to build it in locations where people want to be. And until then, it's just we're just pushing the problem around and we're just sort of like bringing in technologies and habits that you know we're trying to answer the problem and the fundamental problem is we need to build housing where people wanna live. And I'm happy to
0: put in on, on the tail of that a replug for your collaborators, uh, James Sanders et al and Woods Bagot on their Renewing the Dream book, um, which is going to be uh, subject of a book talk uh, at the Skyscraper Museum uh, in New York on the 23rd. Um, they had some pretty practical-sounding ideas for how we could solve some of these intransigent problems, you know, in the Sun Belt, where, you know, the city of Los Angeles has 25 square miles of just plain old surface parking, not even counting garages uh, that could be redeveloped into something like homes for 1.4 million people under the current zoning, not even with any adjustments.
1: Well, and related to that, trends to look for for 2024. I mean, you know, one thing that I've been paying attention to for a while now is. You know, uh, residential real estate and residential multifamily real estate buildings, like tons of investment goes into that, but there's no branded products like there's no consumer branding of residential real estate, like arguably like the biggest asset class in the whole world is that so you see several people trying to crack this problem, you've got, you know, the single family rentals which started in the housing crisis when people buying, you know, Blackstone buying foreclosed homes. Now, basically, they're swooping in and hiring builder firms to build thousands of homes at a stretch. The Wall Street Journal also covered this just recently, too. Like the rise of commission-from-scratch neighborhoods by big institutional investors. You also have cul-de-sac, which has been praised up and down. of, You know, Ryan Johnson, who was part, part of the Open Door team, where they're trying to build branded real estate in Tempe, Arizona as their first neighborhood. So basically, they're going to try to launch one in Denver. They've got options in other real estate areas. This idea that, like, you know, cul-de-sac is a brand of a sort of walkable urbanism that, you know, you raise money to own the property and cul-de-sac is, like, the tech and the branding on top. And the other person who's trying to do the exact same thing, Adam Newman, like, you know, Business Insider finally got some access to flow, which, as it turns out, is not, like, you know, some crazy technological play. It's Adam trying to figure out like how to smooth down the edges of multifamily housing to make it better and make it, you know, somewhat more scalable in terms of like slapping the name and making it a desirable brand. You want to like, if you have a choice between a random apartment and Flow, maybe you go stay in a Flow building. So it'll be interesting to see if we start to see like these archipelagos of, of residential real estate, the same way you see hotel chains or any other kinds of brands that supposedly say, you know, I'm a person of taste, etc. So. That makes me semi optimistic in the sense that at least it toots
0: the horn of multifamily housing, but also a little bit uh, freaked out because it's kind of like uh, I already th- feel like, you know, with the, with, the, with the rise of lifestyle centers and things like that, we're a little too close to living above a P.F. Chang's, uh, you know, in, <laughs> in the big box uh, uh, re- reconfigurations of the world.
1: Imagine the smells. Well, you know, I mean, you say that, but like that's, you know, I mean, huge opportunities there. It would be interesting to see, you know, in 2024 and beyond, you know, everyone gets focused on like, what do we do with the empty skyscrapers and cores? I think the ultimate answer for those, for the office space is like you cut the rents until they become desirable to people. And like, again, like I don't really care what happens to Scott Reckler of RXR. Like he's a businessman. He know, I mean, he's the one out there talking about how there's going to be this reckoning and he's rationalizing his portfolio. They'll figure it out. Those buildings will get rationalized and people will find uses for them. What do we do with all the dead suburban office parks? What do we do with all the de- dead dying malls that are being re- you know, repurposed in various ways? Huge opportunities there that even be- well before the pandemic, you know, Howard Hughes Corporation was looking at sites and many others about turning those into mixed-use multifamily. I was just back at Easton Town Center, speaking of lifestyle centers, the iconic one built in Columbus, Ohio by Yarmir Steiner, who... Was born in Istanbul and raised in Toulouse, France. Like who literally tried to make European-style urbanism in the middle of Ohio, and you end up with a lifestyle center. I did not find it objectionable, Dan. I found the only Trader Joe's in the city of Columbus, and went there and got some groceries while I was staying there. So anyway, my point is, is like you know, huge opportunities abound there if you can make those numbers pencil out, and huge opportunities for architects to think about how do you turn those into communities. That's exactly what Ellen Dunham Jones and uh, June Williamson have been doing for years with retrofitting suburbia. So. Let's hope that becomes a trend in 2024.
0: Well, you know, this is my chance to put in a, a plug for something I am really looking forward to, which is our 2024 conference for the Council on Tall Buildings and Urban Habitat, titled New or Renew, which uh, addresses a lot of these issues of, okay, we have a simultaneous crisis of outmoded office space and a lack of affordable housing. Can't we just combine them? Well, of course it's not that simple, but. There's a, there's a huge, uh, huge movement now, including uh, under legislation in the city of London, where it will take place, um, where by 2040, developers will have to consider, have to prove to the city that they have considered the implications of demolishing, or rather of uh, renovating the building before they can be given a permit to demolish it, at least over a certain size, certain amount of square footage. Uh, I will also point out that the ancillary uh, location of that conference is Paris, and it will be during Fashion Week, and I just cannot predict how that's going to turn out.
1: Well, hotel rates will be two thousand dollars a night. So first off, good luck with that, for, you know, uh, fellow conference goers in that one too. I look, I look forward to. Uh, I mean, you know, the intersection of of fashion and, and architecture is a profound one. I mean, I still am amused that basically, literally everybody I know who was a baby ram at OMA at the time of projects for Prada in like 2000, 2001, still exclusively wear Prada to this day. I won't name any names, but you know who you are. Um, but if we're speaking, we're going to plug each other for conferences and events. So I got, I got three to talk about so far. So, you know, for those of you who are in like the DC Baltimore area and want to hear me talk even faster on caffeine, uh, February 22nd, I will be in conversation with the president of the University of Maryland, Baltimore on why cities are not over, why they are not so over and why we are so back. So I'll hold forth on that. Uh, if you are in Austin, Texas for South by Southwest, I'm making my inaugural trip this year. Pray for me. Uh, I'm part of a session there on how we use augmented reality for civic good. I'll be there with the, with the uh, in situ crew um, and the former chief design officer of Denver and the former uh, head of DOB for Washington, D.C. So we're going to talk about how cities can use some of these tools, and I think that'll be fun. Uh, And then finally, um, yeah, I'll be at Smart City Expo USA in New York on May 22nd uh, doing a sort of final discussion of my Cornell Tech project there and sort of like how cities should be thinking about disruptive technologies in general and not just being like, oh, startups, come here and do whatever you want. More the notion of the how do we, you know, how do we proactively, uh, you know, evaluate the risks and justify them? And again, it's interesting to see cities get slightly ahead in the cycle when it comes to AI. But man, it's like, you know, Governor Hochul in New York just sort of being like. Hey, come do whatever you want here. Like the the logic of economic growth. I, I get into discussions about this with my girlfriend about this, where I point out that like you know that like the EU in particular is in a very difficult spot because the EU, which has passed the first comprehensive regulation for artificial intelligence, you know, regul you know restricting it in a meaningful way, the same people who passed that law then in the next breath get into a whole conversation about like, well, why don't we have a trillion dollar AI firm here? You know, and then when she points out, like, well, you don't need one. I'm like, well, you do need one if, in fact, that the, the market caps of the Magnificent Seven, which is, you know, Apple and Meta and Amazon and NVIDIA and the others, is greater than the stock exchanges of the UK, Canada, and Japan combined. Tech is the source of your retirement. Tech is the source of how your people don't, like, overthrow you violently in revolution. And so we're all kind of stuck in this bind here. Where we're all AI now. So anyway, my final note there for 2024 is, is that I hope to present soon... Uh, some of the projects that I was working on at the end of the year in 23 on how architecture and engineering should be thinking about that. I want to give a special shout out to the Center for Architecture, you know, AIA New York, which had an amazing symposium at the end of December uh, on sort of AI in practice with a keynote virtually by Patrick Schumacher, um, you know, who, to his credit, was kind of, you know, talking about how silly a lot of the current generative AI tools are. Um, but a lot of the stuff that sort of came out there was about, you know, some of the discussion around um yeah, but, you know, that you can you don't need a partner or a principal or even an associate with these tools. You can get even more junior staffers and put them in front of these tools for thirteen hours, and by the end they can actually have some interesting prototypes. So, you know, these questions around the de skilling of labor, I think, is interesting. And with that, I'll plug one of our upcoming guests here, Rob Otani of Thornton Thomasetti Associates. Uh, Rob is, you know, the guru on this sort of stuff and is working on a very interesting project to create a digital twin, not of infrastructure. But a digital twin of one of the leading experts in the firm—a human digital twin. So we'll have him on in a bit to talk about that. Not, not this week, but soon. So um, yeah, some fascinating stuff there. All right. Well, final note there, Dan. Before we go, then, any any other guests you want to have? Who's on your wish list for guests this year?
0: My wish list is uh, perennial. Uh, in that I've probably stated this several times, but some of the other people who are edge lord ruling the, uh, the 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 universe, uh, you know, I would still like to get them on the shows, even if we have to mask their identity.
1: Hustle Architect. Hustle Architect. Hustle Architect, if you're listening, we'd love to have you on, in character, of the, course. The bat signal is on. It's been on
0: for three years, it's still on. Uh, Boys Firm, Dank Lloyd Wright, those who will call out the the many, many hypocrisies that are rife in this little industry we cover. Um, Yeah, I want to see how the Venn diagram plays out. I don't know who we would get to interview, who would speak on record for this, but there's a Venn diagram that's forming between the plagiarism scandal uh, in academia, the uh, leaked, or I should say, uh, unredacted list of Epstein clients and the shitty architecture men list, which has, I guess, disappeared in, in practical fact, but it still lives on in hearts and minds.
1: It did disappear. I mean, the, yes. The uh, for those who are unaware, during the Me Too movement's heyday, I think in 2015, there was two lists that are seared in my mind forever: as G-Docs, the shitty media men list, knew many people on that list, and then the shitty architecture men list, which was like staring into the sun in terms of some of the very anonymous allegations, which we will not repeat here because I do not feel like slandering anyone. Um, but yeah, that was bracing. And you're right, it'll be interesting to see how that intersects. As a final note on that one, as we discussed this, you know, Bill Ackman, the hedge fund billionaire, is probably writing another 5,000 word screen on X, uh, basically insisting that Neri Oxman, his wife, is not a public figure. And if you ever wondered how marginalized architects were, the fact that a billionaire could loudly insist that his wife, who has had a solo show at MoMA and has been on the cover of Fast Company, Time, I think, and a bunch of other magazines, is not a public figure. So, you know, there you go, architects. Enjoy your privacy through obscurity because he can argue that with a straight face. and um, It's only been challenged so far, I think, by like Alexander Lang and a couple others on Twitter. Amanda, Amanda, Amanda Colson Hurley, thank you, Amanda, for that.
0: I think you just named two, two or three more people we'd love to have on the show.
1: No, absolutely. Very nice. Well, I can't wait to have them on and get started to another season here. So, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, it's gonna be, uh, it's gonna be a year. It's going to be a year, Greg. And here's to a happy
0: 2024 for all of us and all of our listeners as we labor in obscurity as non-public figures.